Ladies and gentlemen, grow out your sideburns. I'm Kent Garrison. I'm Brian Gill. And I'm Richard Blatnoid. And this is Matt. Uh, about movies. You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Mad About Movies is your go-to podcast destination for all things concerning the wonderful world of cinema. Every week we give you movie news, movie rumors, and those all-important movie rumblings in the first half of the show. And in the second half of the show, we break down our chosen movie of the week. Fret not, spoiler-phobes. We will let you know before we head into spoiler territory. But make sure you stick around for the end of the show when we give you our weekly recommend. Something you need to check out ASAP. This week's movie of the week is what, Richard? Some Paul Anderson's inherent vice. If it's a quiet night out at the beach and your ex-old lady suddenly out of nowhere shows up with a story about her current billionaire land developer boyfriend and his wife and her boyfriend and a plot to kidnap the billionaire and throw him in a loony bin. I need your help, Doc. Maybe you should just look the other way. So Richard called dibs on this one a few months ago, actually. He did. He said he wanted to take charge and make this his personal podcast of the year. We let him do this once a year <laughs> where it's basically just Richard talking and Brian and I uh, nodding in agreement with yep. those things. So, Which really comes across in a podcast. Yeah, it really <laughs> yeah. does. In an audio podcast. <laughs> yeah, an audio medium. Yeah. And um, so excited about this one. This one has been an anticipated one, of course, for a while. Uh, Richard has read the novella. Uh, inherent vice by Mr. Pinchon. And, it is a uh, novella in terms of Pinchon. It's yes. much shorter than a few other books. Right. But uh, by most by most standards, it's not. But yeah, no, it is a novella compared to the rest of his work. I have read it. I have read it. I enjoyed it. We'll see about the movie when we talk about it later. We will talk about it later. Uh, but before we do that, guys, let's talk a little bit of movie news. Movie news. Yes. Rumors and rumbling. That's awesome. Let the filibustering So this past weekend was the 72nd annual Golden Globe Awards, the last Golden Globe Awards to be hosted by American Treasure candidates, uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, and uh, it was a bittersweet ending. Sad to see them go, but I think they went out with a bang as far as at least their monologue is concerned. Yeah. Uh, We could talk about that and just our first impressions or initial impressions of the show in general. To me, guys, we were, we were texting back and forth uh, while we were watching it, like awesome people do when they watch <laughs> second-tier award shows. Uh, but Just wait for our SAG Award conversation. Can't wait for the Critics' Choice Awards uh, live tweet tomorrow night. It's going to be great. And the Blockbuster Movie Award. <laughs> do those don't exist? Because Blockbuster doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Blockbuster Movie. I don't, don't even remember those at all. Uh, uh, I'm more into Fox, the Spike TV great. man Men, uh, men approved awards, but that's that's another conversation. That's cool. We have a gold, the Golden Globes, and to me, just the imp- impression of the show, it really fell flat after the monologue, as far as the jokes or bits. And I got to the point where I looked at my clock and was like, "I'm ready to check out. I want to see how much time is left in this sucker." An hour and a half was left, and uh, usually at the Oscars, it's like. An hour or 30 minutes left where I'm like physically almost – it's almost physically hard for me to watch the show. Like my eyes are trying to tell me to do other things. At this point, it was an hour and a half left. So um, I was only watching to see who won the awards because that's really all I cared about was to see 
um, if there were any surprises or whatever. So I turned it off with an hour and a half left and just went the next morning and looked at the list <laughs> for the ones that I missed. So I didn't get to see the entire show, um, but I am aware of the winners, so, which we'll go over here. But Ryan, what did you think of the show? I, Richard and I both love the Golden Globes. We we really get excited about this one just because it is so wheels off. And uh, everybody's a little tipsy and it never seems like things go according to plan. They always, always, always award somebody something and you're like, really? I didn't know that anybody watched this like like uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine winning last year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. Like last year, Brooklyn Nine-Nine winning was kind of cool. This year, The Affair, no one will know what The Affair is in two years. No one will care. But that's fine. It, it is what it is. I think this show... AMC's The Killing is holding up pretty <laughs> well. Yeah, seriously. Um, this show was really not well-directed. Like I think, I, I think it's – Hard to tell that usually. Like you can't. I don't know. You're you're always going to have little audio cues that go wrong, or uh, you know, somebody in the truck misses a, a video cue or something like that. Like those things happen all the time because it's a it's a live show, so no big deal. But I felt like this one was kind of perpetually the camera was off. Like I really enjoyed when. I think it was when the affair one and no, it was when transparent one and the camera just kept panning and just stopped on Brian Cranston for like 15 (laughs) seconds. And then was like, Oh crap. And scooted back over to, uh, they were randomly, they randomly (laughs) showed the cast of Silicon Valley in the middle of like the best original score (laughs) awards. Yeah. Why? The nominees are drunk, as is the crew. Yeah. Right, yeah. It's it's just really – so I thought there were a lot of like audio issues and, and clearly there was massive time issues because after about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, every person that came on stage was just like – and the nominees are. like They just went straight yeah. into it because they, they blew too much time earlier, which is a bummer because I'm, I'm assuming there were some – Tina Fey, Amy Poehler stuff cut. And that would be my big issue with the whole thing is like you have Tina Fey, you have Amy Poehler. The monologue was insane. Everybody – I think most people are more interested in that than they are the Golden Globes as a whole. Um, just give us more of that. Give, give us more Tina Fey and Amy Poehler in that situation and I don't really care about most of the people who are presenting the awards. Just like – Give us more jokes with Tina and Amy, and I think everybody – I don't know. It would have created a, a better environment. But anyway, uh, so I don't think it was a, a really well-run <laughs> – just from a director standpoint, I don't think it was a really well-run show. But it it is always interesting to see who wins the Globes just because it is always – it's both an indicator for the Oscars and just like some total wheels-off selections that always just kind of keep us guessing, which I, I like. I think it's fun. Yeah. Richard, did you watch it? It is more destination viewing for me than the Oscars because of the uh, wheels off factor of it. Love it. Love drunk celebrities. Uh, great. And I love the fact that, like, the atmosphere, like, it's really live or die, like, career maker uh, to win an Oscar. And there's a lot of nerves affiliated with that, which just makes it interesting to watch because it matters. The Globes is also interesting because it's, like, 39, you know, guys from. Luxembourg that vote on this thing and like no, one, like, no, nobody really cares if they win or not. It's just kind of yeah. like we're here. Be cool if I won. If I don't, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. And uh, I love, I love that uh, feeling of it. It's yeah. it's mostly just a party. I want an excuse to come hang out and watch Tina and Amy do their thing and you know pretend like yeah. I'm promoting this movie or pretend like I care about it. But uh, yeah, I love it. It's my favorite show. 
every and every, every uh, once in a while the globe serves as like an opportunity to uh to make up for some wrong you know like Michael Scott won a Golden yeah. Globe, but didn't win an Emmy, which is insane. But okay, but we got this like one moment. Of, to me, for television, right. and honestly, if for movies, it's definitely lesser an award. For me, yeah. for television, it's actually more prestigious than the Emmys at this point. Sure, because the Emmys are so dumb and just ridiculous with what they value. That at this point, like to me, winning a Golden Globe means like you matter in pop culture for mm-hmm. television. For movies, it's nonsense, but for TV. It's the best award. Yeah, you can win, you, the, the Emmys have become the Grammys. Yeah, you know, it's like we'll it's we'll give the Big Bang Theory, Modern Family the awards every year, just like yeah, the Grammys yeah. will give Katy Perry awards just because she sold the yeah. most albums, not because it's the best music, you know. Mm. So sure, Nicki Minaj has seventy four Grammys. You didn't yeah. know that? Yeah, <laughs> the exactly. Beatles only have the Beatles only have two. Yeah, but Nicki Minaj is more important. So we <laughs> exactly that's why I stopped. Uh, Watching the Grammys and like it was just a ago. concert too. Yeah, Grammys yeah. are just like a hey, you ever want to see Carlos Santana perform with Disturbed? Well, <laughs> after this break, you can. Yeah, like, I guess that's cool. I didn't really know. Yeah, like, but dude, the like, guitar solo on "Down with the Sickness" is awesome. <laughs> yeah, the maraca solo on "Down with the Sickness" is killer. Hold on, let me guess. It sounds a little something like this. Oh wait, that's every Santana song that's ever. No, I know the Grammys are just these nonsensical mashups. It's like someone gets stoned in a van. It was like, I'd like to see uh, the cranberries and, you know, die Antwald. And it's like, all right, yeah. after this break. Yeah, it's pretty embarrassing. Time for Skrillex and Keith Urban. <laughs> they did that Ain't No Mountain High Enough cover. Was, <laughs> that one was good. Was. Uh, I guess we should start with the big award. Best Drama Motion Picture. Uh, the nominees were The Theory of Everything, Selma, The Imitation Game, Foxcatcher. Heard of that. Okay, heard of that one. <laughs> heard of what? I've heard of those movies, so I'm okay. glad I'm... Uh, and Boyhood, and the winner was Boyhood. Yeah. Which is pretty... I, I, I would probably vote that one of the, out of those five. No Draft Day, which was... Yeah, a little bit Very later. disappointing. Confusing more than upsetting. Just yeah. like, why not? So I mean, good. nomination at least, you know. I can Absolutely. understand it not winning, but <laughs> yeah. not getting a nominated is just... <laughs> yeah. How am I supposed <laughs> to enjoy the draft? <laughs> or understand it? <laughs> uh, best original song went to Glory from Selma, which I have yet yeah. to see. Brian has seen Selma at this point. I have. We'll talk about it next week, but... That pesky Lyndon Johnson is always in the way. I'm mad that they uh, that Lord was shut out again. <laughs> uh, someday poor, she'll get the poor Randy she Marsh. Poor Randy Marsh. Uh, the Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award winner, American Treasure George Clooney. Yeah, great speech, great speech from Clooney too. It was really good. Yeah, enjoyable. Good to see him. He does a lot of good work. It's, it's just He's good just to see good him guy. catch a break, you know? Yeah. yeah. That guy really that's works I, hard. He just deserves a, a that's chance. That's how I felt when Tom Brady won this week. It's like, <laughs> good for good for Tom. It's good to see one finally go his way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we tried to cut him a break by sending him the uh, American Treasure Denim Fest. And I was yeah. a little and, pissed he didn't wear it. Yeah. I mean, he might have had it under his tux for good luck. You never know. Probably I would. Did. We'll just assume he did. We'll just assume it. Uh, best original score went to The Theory of Everything. You know, fine for that. Birdman was very good, which was nominated. Also, 
Gone Girl and the Imitation Game. Imitation Game yeah. score was very good. Yeah, um, I, I think I would have. I mean, I don't. I don't think this was a particularly great year for score. There wasn't one that just stood out as that's the best score of the year. But I think I might have picked all of those scores over. Bird, I would have picked Birdman, maybe. Birdman's, yeah, yeah. I love that. That probably would have been my vote. The winner of best animated film was How to Train Your Dragon Two, and that beat out the Lego Movie. Big Hero 6, The Box Trolls, and The Book of Life. Keep in mind, Brian, it's the foreign press, so they actually have dragons over there. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> From what I gather of Europe. I would have thought um, – I would have picked a Lego movie maybe. Yes. But I love it, How to Train Your Dragon too. I, I, I did put too, that on the record. Lego movie is so good, dude. Like yeah. Lego movie might deserve an Oscar nomination, and How to Train Your Dragon 2 is, is a really nice animated feature. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to describe it. It was nice. Best comedy motion picture or musical. Nominees were Pride, which I have no idea what that is, but it was nominated. Um, Into the Woods, Birdman, St. Vincent, and Grand Budapest. And the winner was Grand Budapest. Very surprising. Crazy. Yeah. I thought it would have been Birdman. Same. Um, but bad, bad, not bad. shocked at all. I'm, get, I'm almost at the point, guys, and I want to run this by you. I had this thought last week. I'm almost at the point where... If if Grand Budapest wins Best Picture, I'm not going to be upset about it. No, you know? I, I mean like if this is the year that we finally give Wes Anderson the thing, we're like, okay, you know, yeah. this 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 is a year where we'll just you know like when they gave the artist Best Picture, we're like, well, nothing's right. really that great, so we'll just give like. <laughs> well, again, the, we should say we always say this. It's important. We should say it again for we should if, say because we never so, say it, so we should say it again. It's important because a lot of people forget this. The artist, with without a doubt, guys. Without a doubt, best silent film of 2011. You have it to the grave. You you have to yeah. give it that, and yeah. the, you have to give it an Oscar for that. Can't take no, that away from it. Yep. You never can take that away from it. Definitely the best silent film of 2011, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah, and I mean this. It might be a year where you just he's going to get a, a best picture award eventually. <laughs> you know, same with Linklater. It's like yeah, uh, yeah. If they give it to one of those guys, I won't be upset at all. Yeah, uh, and it seems to be I, between those two. I, and that from movie, the Golden Globes perspective, it's really good. I love that movie, Grand Budapest. But I was, you know, you kind of assume that there'll be something better later on this year. Uh, I don't know if there was. Like it that stuck might, around. Yeah, yeah, it, it holds up really well in in, yeah. in terms of context of the year. It's it's yeah. it's pretty I, darn good. I think Boyhood is is the prohibitive favorite at this point, but. I, I feel like I feel like a lot of voters. It's it seemed like coming into the Golden Globes at least that the there was a Birdman camp and a Boyhood camp, and if those kind of cancel each other out in some way, I think there's a pretty decent chance that that uh, Grand Budapest sneaks in as Best Picture. Cool. And I'm with y'all. I I don't know that I would be upset about that. I don't know that I would argue about that. It's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, I it's 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 really held up for me. Yeah, throughout the I rewatched era. it. Uh, yesterday day before and that is a really stinking good movie uh um, um i i came i had forgotten some of its greatness i guess since march yeah the best screenplay award uh went to birdman and it beat out boyhood gone girl imitation and grand budapest all very strong candidates mm-hmm. um but this is another one maybe a precursor to the oscar winner as well Maybe birdman ends up with michael keaton getting the award and the screenplay or director and uh, Linklater, you know, gets a share of recognition as well. But you know, something else might edge it out in the best. This this might be a year where 
Not one movie wins screenplay, director, and best picture. Yeah, it yeah, might be three like different fair. movies. So. Like uh, 12 years and uh, Gravity last year. Yeah, yeah. We'll give director to one and best picture to the other. And mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I'm never opposed to that, really. This year yeah, was just strong in, in every category, really. In individual category. Th- there wasn't one movie that stuck out this year yet. And, you know, we have two movies left to review. Uh, but th- Damn it. this wasn't... <laughs> We still we'll get, to, we, we'll get to there eventually. We'll get there. Uh, but you know what I mean? There there have been very strong performances, directorial efforts, and um, screenplays and such, but there hasn't been one movie that's really taken the, all three yeah. of those categories and taken control. So I kind of feel like in almost every category, there's a couple of, of locks, I think, but I feel like in most categories across the board, it's like you've got five, either whether it's movie, actor, director, whatever it is, five contributors – that are all like an eight and a half out of 10. Like there's not a 10 in anything, but you've got five, I think in almost every category, you've got at least five uh, contributors or participants or whatever that are, are neck and neck and neck and neck and neck. And so it makes for a really interesting uh, award show. Draft day wasn't a great movie, but (laughs) if they show the clip of the ashes scattering, right. That's going to garner votes. (laughs) It'll play really well on a screener. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what that uh, the whole movie was made to be uh, a screener uh, that gets immediately thrown away. Uh, we have best supporting actress in a motion picture went to Patricia Arquette for Boyhood. Yeah. A little surprised that Emma Stone didn't win this. I thought Emma Stone would get more uh, consideration, maybe. But how can you go wrong with that? I believe I was on this early. I was on the Arquette bandwagon for this early, and you guys. You you well, she was the first like female performance of the year that anyone was talking about, and that movie has, I mean, stayed in the conversation too. But that performance has as well. She's Emma Stone awesome. was the first one that came along since then that I was like, "Wow, there's a contender yeah. right there." You know, uh, as far as just it's just standout performances for me. Uh, Meryl Streep was nominated for Into the Woods, which Brian is the only one who's seen that movie. Um, I, I don't so, get it, guys. I yeah, don't get it. I, I, I read multiple. I, I went through uh, Mark Harris's Oscar prognostications today, and I, I, I think Mark Harris is a really good a- uh, writer. Almost said actor, uh, really good writer, and he's usually pretty spot on with his projections. And he just went on and on about how good Meryl Streep is in Into the Woods, and I thought she was terrible, terrible. Really? <laughs> I mean, like overacting it, it, or she can't sing. I, I don't get it. I don't. I don't get it. She was bad in Mamma Mia as a singer, and she has this one in Into the Woods. She has this one like very climactic. The whole movie's kind of been building towards this. This is her number. This is her time to shine. And I, I was cringing. Like it was really bad. But he just, just heaped praise upon how how great she is in this. So maybe maybe I just don't get it. I I don't know. But it it didn't work for me at all. Sexist. <laughs> yeah, it's probably that. It's probably that. It's not one I'm rushing out to go see in t- anytime soon. And also, Keira Knightley nominated yeah. nominated for the Imitation Game. I Very I don't good. think we've ever talked about Keira Knightley on the podcast, and that's weird to say that we've been doing this for like three over three years, and we haven't talked to Keira Knightley one time. I've never been a fan of hers, but she is good in that movie. I, I, I like, like Keira her. Knightley. Yeah, so. I do too. I liked her a lot in uh, in the uh, Anna Karenina she did. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that her? Yeah. yeah. Uh, like that. And uh, she's good. She's yeah. good 
she's fashioning. You know, if you if I was buying stock ten years ago in uh, Pirates cast members, I, I'd probably be bankrupt because I probably would have bought Bloom over her because uh, I think she had a shelf life. But I I would be wrong. Yeah, I'd be wrong on that. Good. Jess Chastain was the other nominee in that yeah. category, and we haven't gotten to see that one yet. And I'm I'm hopeful about that because I didn't know it existed until the Golden Globes. Yeah. It looks interesting, and I am in love with Jessica Chastain, so uh, I can't wait to see yeah. that one whenever it gets here. Absolutely. We have Best Foreign Language Film. Leviathan won that one. I've heard good things. Haven't Again, upset that dr- the uh, Spanish dubbing of Draft Day didn't get that. But. <laughs> Had a chance. It did. It, did. it was right the there. The Spanish version was actually better than the English version. That's <laughs> yeah. weird. It was there were Muppets, weird. though, which yeah. is always weird. <laughs> Isn't that great? Whenever you women watch, in like, bikinis everywhere, yeah. it just made no sense. <laughs> Best thing about Mexico is they just don't care, right? Because like, anytime you watch like their TV shows, it's like Good Morning America, and then like a Muppet comes on, and then like Chicken in Bikini does weather, and you're like, yeah. what is going on here? It's Born great. They're just like, we like women in bikinis and Muppets. It's like, you know what? You guys are on to something. This is great. We have Best Actor in a drama. And it went to Eddie Redmayne as Stephen Hawking in The Theory of Everything. And a little, little shocking, not, yeah. not um, in the fact that it wasn't a good performance, but it was just, wasn't one that people had circled as an X factor. I think everyone was favoriting either Steve Carell or Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> neither of them won. You could tell Cumberbatch was a little bitter. About losing because it's he was in a biopic too, yeah, and maybe right one of so. the guys one of the guys has a you know of course an incredible handicap, uh, so uh, that lends more towards I guess votes. But yeah. uh, um, what be British great, or I guess they're yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're both, they're, British, they're both handicapped in that yeah. way. Okay, uh, <laughs> we we had um, very strong performances in all those all the nominees. That was tough. I was live tweeting. Richard was as well, and and I tweeted something like as they were announcing it, I tweeted. You know, there's no wrong choice in this category. They're all great. And then immediately after the, you know, they named Eddie Redmayne. I was like, okay, maybe not because like I really <laughs> thought that there was. I, I've seen Theory of Everything. He's great in Theory of Everything. I thought that they were all fairly even in my brain. But when he won, I was like, nah, it should have been Carell or Cumberbatch or or Oyelowo. I, I can't say yeah. that one. There's no way I'm gonna Oyelowo. fail miserably. Oyelowo. I'm gonna have to watch that Brad Pitt video of him like telling us how to pronounce <laughs> that guy's name yeah. multiple times. Yeah, that one um, kind of came out of nowhere. I thought literally all four of those people that were nominated uh, alongside him, Oyelowo, Carell, Cumberbatch, and Hall, he mm. had a, a better shot than Eddie Redmayne did. Yeah, I was, I was surprised. The, the flip side of that is I don't think it's going to matter because yeah. Michael Keaton is definitely winning the Oscar. Yeah. Yeah. I feel yeah. like that's pretty like, close to a lot. The top three are probably like would be comedic in Golden Globes. Like the things that would win Oscars. Yeah. Like the, the drama category was way weaker. Sure. Than the the Golden Globe, yeah. it aside from like maybe Corel, I don't know, but uh, it's interesting this year. It's a weird year for musical or comedy. Best actor was Michael Keaton, and right. he beat out Ralph Fiennes for the Grand Budapest Hotel, which I think he'll still be a contender come Oscar mm-hmm. time. Joaquin for Inherent Vice, Bill yeah. Murray in Saint Vincent, and Christoph Waltz for Big Eyes. And uh, it's just gotten to the point where Kristoff's going to get nominated for every performance he ever does. He's fine just, with it. He's great. Yeah. yeah he I deserves it. I'm excited for uh, his next venture. He deserves so. two Oscars for Django and Ingorious. So that's true. if he gets nominated that's for true. stuff that's not necessarily deserving, that's fine with me. Yeah. And he yeah. seems like just the best. He's a great – even if he, he like does. overacts a bit and other stuff. Sure. Who, if you don't like Christoph Waltz – Yeah. He's definitely a European treasure. Maybe, yeah. maybe the first – 
Or second Austrian treasure besides Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, I thought you were going a whole different place. Yeah, but, uh, no, okay. not Adolf. He's okay, in, he's in a, he's in the Austrian Pippins category. <laughs> okay, uh. not quite. I like that it's still named after Pippin. Like yeah. Hitler, you're bad. I mean, you're not Pippin bad. You're not Pippin bad, but you are bad. Exactly. And we need to recognize you, but you have to wear this jacket, leather jacket with Jeremy Pippin on. We the can't back. call it the Hitlers. I mean, that's yeah, just, no. no, no, because you yeah. know. This is a movie show. Come on. Hitler's bad, but he didn't he wasn't an entourage at least. You gotta give him that. <laughs> okay, that's that's the line we have never crossed on the show. We just crossed the ultimate line. That was it. Congratulations, guy. Oh, we did it. We did it. Best actress in a drama was Julianne Moore. Again, like Kristoff, don't know if she deserves it for this movie, but she's awesome. So Yeah, sure. I'm fine with the like overall sum of her work. I thought it would have been Reese Witherspoon for Wild. She was, yeah, that's, she was that's good, true. very good. Rosamund Pike was nominated for Gone Girl. Kind of Gone cool. Girl lost a lot of steam. I, th- did, I, yeah. I think they might have been a victim of a bad release date. The more I look back on that, because yeah. that's a pretty good movie, and uh, it we don't remember it at all. It's like yeah. in that weird in between zone. I I totally agree. Best actress in a comedy was Amy Adams for Big Eyes. Not Tammy? Um, I couldn't believe it wasn't Kovajanaza Wallace from <laughs> Annie, who legitimately did get nominated, by the way. Yeah. That um, was a really weak category. <laughs> yeah, that was. Category. What are we even Nothing doing? But Amy Adams is great, and she was good in Big Eyes, so she she deserves it. It's just, it's not it's not a strong category. Yeah, bad year. That's symptomatic of Hollywood, though. Yeah. Right? I mean, if they're not going to recognize Tammy, then, I mean. Julianne Moore was nominated in both categories for two different was. films. Yeah. Good. That's pretty cool. Both movies that we can't ever have seen because they never got a release. So yeah. That's, yeah. that's fun. Supporting actress. Oh, that's she's a, television. Hey, Julianne Moore, Sorry. guys, she's a mother to everybody. <laughs> she <laughs> is. Always remember that. She's a mother to everybody. Best drama TV series went to The Affair. Which I have never even heard of. Uh, literally. It's got Pacey on it, so I'm on yeah. board with have that. Have you seen it, Brian? I've seen half of one episode, and that was that was. It enough. was bad. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it. It beat House of Cards, Game of Thrones, The Good Wife, Downton Abbey. Uh, be- terrible. Ter- like, those yeah. five choices, really, of all the good TV yeah. that's out there right now, that's that's the five the shows that we came up with. Yeah. Game of Thrones, fine. Like, I could, I feel like I could clear out the rest of that list and, and put – Americans and Mad Men and on I'm down. I'm sorry, the what's the Americans? I don't know what that is because yeah. it's never been nominated for anything. <sighs> I don't. I just is that, I, 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 is that a show? It's dumbfounding. It makes. I've no never heard of that. Sense. Yeah, what? it has everything that should tick off. I mean, every box that you can check off to get nominated for stuff, it has it. I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Yeah, never heard it of it. Makes me angry. It's, it's good though. Right? Yeah, it's so good that NBC is ripping it off. Did y'all see the the yes. commercials yeah. for Allegiance? Yes. I mean. Come on, direct ripoff. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. it's it's uh, the Americans for stupid people. That's that's exactly what they're putting on the air there. Which Great. was a weird tagline, but I guess <laughs> whatever you got to do. It's an interesting. It's a weird strategy because obviously the Americans is not doing well. Like it's not winning awards and it's not getting good ratings. So why are we trying to rip that? Okay, whatever. Thanks, NBC. Uh, opposite of that, we have a stacked category in supporting actor uh, in a in a movie. Which was J.K. Simmons for Whiplash, but a very stacked category with Ethan Hawke for Boyhood, Edward Norton in Birdman, Ruffalo in Foxcatcher, and Robert Duvall in The Judge, which <laughs> kind of tails off seen. there at the end. It tails <laughs> off there at the end. The bathtub scene, though, yeah. plays in continent. It went. 
wins mm-hmm. my heart. Uh, mm-hmm. So J.K. Simmons is the hands-down favorite there, I think, still. If I was to put somebody else number two, it would be Ethan Hawke followed by Norton, followed by Ruffalo, yep. as far as the favorite order sure. um, in that cra- that category. I guess best actor in a, a comedy TV series went to Jeffrey Tambor yeah. for Transparent, and Transparent got a lot of love did. Uh, at the Golden Globes. A little bit surprising there. But I mean, he had no he had nobody to compete with, really. And he's never won, and he's a, a brilliant he's, he's television great. actor yeah. with an illustrious yeah. career. So that's yeah. fine. Go. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he beat out Don Cheadle, who for some reason still keeps getting nominated. Yeah, for, that show's terrible. Yeah, and it's not it's not funny. I mean, this is uh, a comedy yeah. category. <laughs> none of, none of the the shows in this category are funny. Transparent is, and Louis is, but it's it's not really a comedy. Dude, I mean, yeah. it's. It's funny, the, but the stand-up not, is uh, funny, not the yeah. acting. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Derek, Shameless, and House of Lies are all almost aggressively unfunny. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Kevin Spacey won for actor in a drama show. Uh, he's fi- he's so glad that Breaking Bad is done because he can <laughs> yeah. finally start winning stuff. Uh, he beat out Spader in the Blacklist. Uh, Dominic West in the Affair. Leave Schreiber and Ray Donovan and Clive Owen in the Nick because that's fine. I mean, John Hamm sucks. We can all agree yeah, on yeah, that. Yeah, Don Draper just... is the useless character that we don't recognize in the Zeitgeist. Yeah, that's it, fine. It, it didn't have an amazing season <laughs> or anything like that. I mean, that's you know, that's fine. What's the deal Never. with that? I don't. I know. I thought it was Can't... just the Emmys that hated Mad Men. Not... I, 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 don't I don't know. I don't get it's... it at all. It's completely it's... off the radar, and I don't. I don't understand. It was at least on the radar as a show. Like it won. Yeah. A couple at once at one point, but John Hamm is incredible on that show. Yes. And yes. guess what? In thirty years, we're still going to reference Don Draper because it's an important character in yeah. the Zeitgeist. We're not going to be like, "Oh man, you to- you pulled a total Ray Donovan there, Brian." <laughs> yeah, it's like you narrated I, an HBO documentary, and then yeah, no, I, it's I, I, I don't get, get it. it. I don't get it. Mad Men is in the conversation for the best show of all time and just nope we don't care we don't care i don't yeah i don't understand i don't know it it might just be a case of not being appreciated in its time and that's yeah. fine uh, like seinfeld used to lose every year to frazier yeah. in yeah, the true. in the emmys and it won like sorry, one did you emmy say frazier <laughs> yes i did and Two, we'll get to that at the end three, of the show four. <laughs> oh baby i hear the boot no uh <laughs> It's like Bruce Springsteen count off two, three, four. <laughs> they got one, I think one, one Emmy in, in nine seasons or something. So, yeah. I mean, it just might be that, that type of Kent, situation. Your homework, so. you, aside from, from, uh, Harry Potter is right. you, you ha- you've got to catch up on Mad Men. I got too much to catch up on, dude, as far as TV shows go. I, I know. Can, I can knock out a movie. But the season's fast, over. But... The season's Cowboys are over. Oh, it's I know. Time. I got it's plenty time. of TV to catch up on. That's an understatement. But Mad Men needs to be a priority. I'm telling it you. It does. We, we need to do a recap at the end of that, that show. Yeah. Maybe after The Bachelor's over. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't watch. Oh, wait. That's, that's Brian. That's yeah, Brian. sorry. Yeah. Married life sounds awesome. Uh, so <laughs> that's all really for Golden Globes. I guess we should mention that Fargo won for Best Miniseries. Awesome. Yeah. And it beat True Detective out again. Yeah, I'll watch that crazy. at some point. So too, that. too long of a wait on True Detective. I think it's yeah. its momentum just died. And I don't know if that's fair or not, but Fargo's great. So I Billy can't. Bob won um, 
best actor in a in, in a miniseries too. He beat it's out a, McConaughey and everybody, yeah. so that's pretty impressive too. It's a it bad is. sign when you're like the par- the commercials that are parodying your show, like those Lincoln commercials, kind of mm-hmm. are are those the parodies themselves are like three months old, right? Yeah, bad sign for your show when the stuff that's like making fun of it is is well. True Detective came out. The second week of January last year, I remember yeah. recommending it in one of our first episodes of last uh-huh. year. Yeah, like the after the pilot, and Richard saying, "I thought it, I thought it sucked." The first episode, I did uh, of True Detective, and I, I need I to go back around. and watch it again. It did it. It came around big time as a show, but um, yeah, it did lose a lot of steam. You're right; it's crazy. I, I saw Colin Farrell at the Golden Globes with a. With a uh, handlebar mustache, I'm assuming that's for True Detective, so we'll have to wait, wait and see for season two. Season three of House of Cards premieres here pretty soon. And um, Americans. And the American season yes. three. Yes, 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 yes. So uh, a lot to look forward to uh, from the TV perspective, and we need to do another Rants and Raves TV series episode eventually. Mad Men. It's about to end in April. April or May, Ken, it's over. You got Oh, wow. Yeah, I yeah, will do it for that. You got to do that one. It's gonna that will make for a great episode, and it really is. I've a seen great like season show. one of Mad Men, but I haven't seen it, any of the other. You others. haven't scratched the surface, man. Oh, yeah. I know. Season one is nothing compared to what it becomes. It's 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 a masterpiece. Seriously, there are about twenty shows that people. Every time I converse with somebody, like, oh, dude, you gotta yeah, get into. Yeah, it. yeah. And I'll, so yeah. I'll commit to one. Are you watching about a Manhattan? Season, and then somebody <laughs> else will come like, oh. You gotta be watching yeah. this, man. Yeah. But Mad Men's about to be over. You gotta yeah, do. I'm, I'm about to start my rewatch on Mad Men because I want to watch the whole thing leading up to it. As soon as I finish River Monsters, then it's straight <laughs> into Mad Men. Comparable. I'm on. I'm on, a, I'm on season five of Ancient Aliens, guys. So I gotta <laughs> knock that one out. I, I, they maybe they might discover Ancient Aliens, so yeah, I gotta find out look, if they do. I'll start watching your Breaking Bad when they stop airing King of Queens reruns. All right. <laughs> My favorite is like the shows like Finding Bigfoot. Well, I gotta watch it. I gotta see if they find Bigfoot. You no, know, I'm pretty sure they found Bigfoot. We would know about it in yeah. like five seconds on <laughs> CNN. You know, like there'd be breaking news: Bigfoot is real. They're not going to premiere it on an Animal Planet like weeknight. You guys didn't see? They, they found Bigfoot on Animal Planet last night. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, um, it was at 6 p.m. By the way, you can watch the Mad About Movies simulcast on Animal Planet HD on Friday nights <laughs> at uh, 2.30 in the morning uh, if you want to We do a video. It's like, the, it's like the Dan Patrick show. It is. It's, it's, a, re- it's a rerun. Yeah. It's like the old E! Entertainment Television Howard Stern episodes that would run late night. <laughs> Let's talk uh, Paul Thomas Anderson and uh, Inherent Vice. Michael Z. Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. Has vanished. And a girl don't necessarily want to get into difficulties with those folks. You got a spare picture I can borrow? Richard Barden. Yes. Have at it, sir. Uh, let's talk about. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about your expectations for this first. You did say you read the book beforehand. Book. Pinch on. The writer of the book. This is his most, believe it or not, accessible book. <laughs> um, <laughs> he writes really weird stuff like Gravity's Rainbow and The Crying Law 49 and all these kind of classics. He was, a, you know, crazy. The Twilight s- books, right? Yeah. yeah. As he, well, no, he just wrote New Moon. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's why there's a weird twist. There's a lot of, they didn't film those. 
But uh, no, Pinchot is is insane, and he's he's uh, like Salinger. He's kind of a hermit. No one really knows what he. There's like one picture of him from the army in like 1957. But he his his brilliance is in the details. And if you read Inherent Vice, you know from what we know of Pinchot, he's a somebody from upstate New York. But when you read Inherent Vice, it's so authentic to uh, this sort of. Gordita Beach surfer culture, man, at the, in this time. And it's like, well, how did this person write about this in such insane detail, uh, both fictional and non, uh, without living in it? <laughs> he's, he's a genius at like really encapsulating these times that may or may not have existed, these characters that may or may not have existed, and so on and so forth. And Heron Vice is, is, you know, it's, it's like um, Lebowski, but even probably more stoned out. And it's crazy, and there's no real point to the plot, and that's important for contemporaries of Pinchon. You look at someone like DeLillo or, or Pinchon or people like that, that's kind of their bit is to – you read 600 pages, and then you put it down, and you go, huh, well, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was a waste of time or the most <laughs> important you know, three weeks of my life. I, I really have no way of knowing, but I'm just going to think about that for a while. And, and this book though is at least somewhat narrative. Uh, I read it late. It was, it, I read it knowing that the film was being made. Uh, so it's not like, so I read it picturing Joaquin Phoenix, uh, as this character as doc. And then he, so I don't know if he, in terms of casting, I, I don't know, um, if he fit the bill or not perfectly, because I always pictured him and he, he was great. Uh, but I didn't really picture anyone else. I didn't. I knew who was in the movie. But I didn't know what parts they were. They were in. So, uh, Brolin and and Owen Wilson and uh, uh, Catherine Watterson and things like that were were kind of a surprises to me. But I think the kind of hey, Walking Phoenix is is great in this. But I think the walkaway star from this is. is I, th- I thought Josh Brolin was incredible in this. I thought this was a really cool Same. performance by here, and a, a great character. And he just went a lot with it. It's not really a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. It's not. Because it's adapted. Uh, some of his screenplays are original, some are not. I don't think it's really because it's adapted. Because you look at it like There Will Be Blood. Uh, that's adapted from you know Upton Sinclair and Oil and all that stuff. So it's not really because he's adapting a book. It's just he's really just translated Pinchon for the screen. Which has never been done because it's impossible, one. And B, Pinchon doesn't allow it to ever happen. Because he's, he, he's crazy. So in a, in a fun, cool, brilliant way. It doesn't feel like a like an Anderson movie, but what it does feel like is something completely unique to itself and a really pretty enjoyable enjoyable ride through the theater. I don't know if this is deserving of like Oscar accolades because it's just so absurd, but it's a really fun ride. And I think like the initial reviews were tepid and like eh, I don't really know what happened here. I think the reviews are are getting a lot more positive as people kind of experience it more, mm-hmm. and you have to kind of go in expecting that this this isn't going to be there will be blood. Or the master, or something that just like breaks your brain with brilliance. It's just going to be fun and and kind of you know, for lack of a word, a trip in in a lot of ways, in more ways than one. So uh, I'm interested in your thoughts because I went into it knowing kind of what to expect, and you guys probably didn't because you didn't you didn't know the plot or or lack thereof. So I'm I'm curious uh, in in your thoughts on the whole. But that that's kind of my my take so far. But I I would I I did enjoy it a great deal, and I was not let down because I knew. The monumental task of adapting this is nearly impossible, and I think they did a really good job. And it's a movie that I'm really glad exists, and I can't wait to watch it a lot more times. But I don't know if it's probably not going to crack my like top five of the year. It may, the more I think about it. But it, 
it's it was I had a great it was a great two and a half hours. Brian. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I didn't have any understanding of what was going to happen at all coming in. So, and I, I still maybe don't know exactly what was happening. And I, I think that's the point. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I had fun with it, and that's so that's great. I, you know, I'm with you. I'm with you, Richard. I don't know that this is going to. I think we all kind of expected this was going to be some kind of Oscar attention sort of movie and yeah. it, i don't think it is yeah this uh, and should I'm, come out in like the summer i don't yeah, know why and it, it really has a summer feel to it and so i i, I would have liked to have seen it come come out then but regardless uh, i'm also with you on brolin brolin makes the movie dude like joaquin phoenix is great no question all the actors are really good i thought brolin was awesome to the point of uh for my blog tomorrow one of one of the things i have in in my my uh post is is my if i had an oscar ballot who would my picks be and stuff like that and brolin was the last man out on supporting actor like i really had to think about it because he was so good and he's not on screen a whole lot but he just i don't know i love james brolin he had a just a or excuse me josh brolin he had a commanding presence on the on the screen in this one it was really cool you know this movie jumps around all over the place it doesn't make a lot of sense and yet I enjoyed it. So that's I, I think that's all I that's all I could really um, coming out of it. That's that's all we should have expected going in, I guess, is to this is just kind of a fun movie. It's wild and wacky and hazy and uh, just and very odd. And yet that's kind of what makes it work. And that's what makes it an enjoyable bit. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is officially like. A guy you have to watch for every time, and I don't—I I know he's always been great, but you know his weird bits and the odd <laughs> career path that he's taken, and and he—he he is always tough to to figure out how self-aware he is on this stuff, or if he is just so blitzed that he doesn't know what he's doing, or you know all this sort of stuff. I—I—I I, I feel like we all kind of believe that he's in on the bit, and this—you know—he's doing something purposeful for whatever because of all that stuff. I think it. It almost detracts from his greatness in a way because you – anytime he's in a movie, you have to have that moment of, OK, is he going to be acting in this or is he just going to be doing this weird Joaquin Phoenix bit? And at this point, we should – I should – and this is just me, but I, I should accept that he's not doing a bit. Like this is for real. He's he's a great actor and I need to appreciate him on the screen more uh, and, and be excited about what he's going to do in whatever movie that he's in. So, uh, anyway, overall it, it was a very, uh, it's a fun movie. It's, it's wild and, and wacky and, and you're right, Richard, it doesn't feel like a PTA movie. Um, and that's okay. In some ways this, it's definitely not the best movie that PTA has ever made. And it, I don't know, it may be the worst. You guys are more, PTA connoisseurs than I am, but uh, it may be the worst of his movies, but it also might be the one that I enjoyed the most. So yeah. there's that. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's weird to, to talk about Joaquin Phoenix and talk about just the past couple of years of his career, even, and to think that he did The Master, followed mm-hmm. by her, followed by this, and he won't win the award and didn't for any of those three. Uh, the more I think about her. And I've watched it a few times, and it was my favorite movie of last year. It it might be my favorite movie of like the last ten years. Like that's about as good as it gets. And Joaquin Phoenix, as of now, of on whatever January blank, is probably my favorite actor. And I wow. never thought I would have yeah. said that a few years ago at all. Well, I mean, we talked about the master. We did an episode on that. I mean, I was saying I was just like, if he doesn't win for this, 
I, I just don't even know what to think. Like I was so <laughs> blown away by his portrayal yeah. of Freddie Quell and the master. And that entire movie just blew my mind. And I, I, man, this is just totally different than that. It's a little different than I had anticipated. I will admit, I thought it would be more stylish than it was. Yeah. I thought it would be more groovy, more trippy than it was. And so that, that's what surprised me a little bit. It was more down to earth and more simple than I expected out of Mr. Anderson here. I thought he would go all out with style with this movie. I mean, look at the freaking poster. It's like tie dye and uh, neon and everything. I yeah. mean, you would think it would be, it would make Boogie Nights look like a student film or something. Yeah. And, I mean, I think Boogie Nights is still his most stylish movie to date. Um, it is weird to make your most stylish movie first. It is. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I just thought he would go all out here with, uh, with film technique and he, he really didn't, it really sort of just melts away and, and you follow these characters. I love the character of, um, that Joaquin Phoenix plays here, doc. And, uh, I mean, there are so many memorable performances here, which we'll talk about more specifically later, but I mean, I enjoyed the ride. I agree. Mm. And you know what? It's just, you have to realize with his movies, you, you have to go in saying, I really had to pay attention here. And these are all ones that I had to revisit. I mean, there isn't one Paul Thomas Anderson movie that I've gone in the first time, saw it, completely knew what he was going for the first time around, and then called it a day. I mean, I've revisited all of his movies half a dozen times at least, you know. And uh, I've already seen Inherent Vice twice, you know. So they're they're ones you have to kind of go back to appreciate. And I'll I'll say I liked Inherent Vice more the second time around. Um, Once you sort of get the hang of uh, the plot line, it's a lot easier to concentrate on the performances. So I would suggest doing that. But, I mean, you have to realize going in that (laughs) – I mean, I heard – I don't know if you – Listen to it, Brian, but I know you did, Richard. Listen to the interview that Mark Marin did with yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson. I mean, he's Great. just such a normal dude. I know. It's, and it's, it's so, so weird. weird to think about him being like one of – like us, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and because you always think of him as this super pretentious film nerd who you know is super into trying to make his audience confused. And, and a lot of the times he'll do stuff just just to raise questions. You know, He'll fully admit that. Um, that his movies aren't meant to be understood the first time around. And he only does that to do it. Uh, he's not too, like, Terrence Malick, I always get his name confused with yeah. Lars von Trier. But those are two very similar, Terrence Malick and Lars von Trier. You expect Paul Thomas Anderson to be like those two guys, you know? Yeah, uh, I think especially his latter he's half totally his like, I mean, he's married to Maya Rudolph, but he's totally somebody you, you would think would have written for SNL, just by the yeah. way he talks about movies and about writing and, and making stuff. And it's just incredible the the art that comes out of this guy is just, it's pretty crazy uh, to think. He's not super eccentric like Tarantino or something, you know? No. He's just super normal, laid back, and that's that's fine. And he explains it his career perfectly when he's just like, you know what? He was he was lucky to grow up in a time where Tarantino broke out because all the studios were looking for the next Tarantino, yep. and he had the Boogie Nights script and everything, and, and got a chance, you know. And and the rest is history, of course. But sure. yeah, he, the, his career is kind of split in the two because yeah. you have the early career uh, with with Magnolia, especially in Boogie Nights, where it's like this super kind of you can just super Robert Altman influence career yeah where he's just a guy trying to make these kind of really broad ensemble robert altman type movies and then 
I think the the act the director you would compare his later career to with things like The Master, etc., is is Terrence Malick. Yeah, and these kind of bizarre, very philosophical films, you know. But he's kind of with this. It's like none of that. It's 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 kind of its own thing. Um, I don't know if it's good or bad or indifferent. I really don't. I, I think it's good. I just mean you know the grand scheme of things. But uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting to see he is. I know Brian's not a huge fan. I don't really know if I am or not, but he, I think, is the a Tarantino movie. You know, is a Tarantino movie is a Tarantino movie. He's sure. an auteur, a Wes Anderson movie is a Wes Anderson movie is a Wes sure. Anderson movie. I don't really know what a Paul Thomas Anderson movie is. Totally, yeah. They're like really he. They're really different, and I think that's really cool. I think he's a unique person in that way that he makes really different movies that are, uh, you know, they're oftentimes in Southern California. But other than that, that's about the only. The only difference, and I think he's a really sharp director in that way, that he, he makes a lot of different types of movies. I mean, and even his take, you know, Punch Drunk Love, hearing about him talk about that on the Marriott. Yeah, podcast, I was just about to mention that. Yeah. yeah. He, Brian, I don't know if you know this, but he, like, it wasn't really, like, I always assumed it was, hey, I like Adam Sandler. And you'll get a kick out of this, Brian. Hey, I sure. like Adam Sandler. I'm going to. Uh, bring him kind of into my kind of pretentious film world of you know these type of movies. That really wasn't his his goal. His goal was I want to make an Adam Sandler movie. And so hmm. Punch Drunk Love is is Paul Thomas Anderson trying to make Big Daddy. Like, right. And that's how just that's how weird he is. He was just like I love Adam Sandler movies. I wanted to try to make one, and it's it's weird and dark because that's who I am. But that's what I was trying to do there. And I thought that was really interesting and thought provoking in, in an odd way. Like he's not pretentious in that way. Like he just wanted to. He loves Adam Sandler, and uh, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, he he says he loves Big Daddy, Happy Gilmore, and Billy Madison. <laughs> yes. And I mean, those are the three we always talk about. Yeah, on yeah. The show. I mean, but that's why he chose Adam Sandler because he liked those movies. Like he said it best. And this is the last we'll talk about this um, this other podcast. But go you listen, listen to, to go it. Go listen though. to it. It's like yeah, an hour awesome. and a half long of just him. And he does very rarely does interviews like that, so it's it's always good to talk. But he said he has a shelf, two shelves at his house of movies. One shelf is the Happy Madison type stuff, the the forget forget what you're doing type stuff, and just throw something on, and have a good time. And he's got sure. another shelf of super nerd nerdy film school type <laughs> pretentious movies. And he said nine times out of ten, when he goes to watch a movie, he'll pick something from the don't give an F uh, shelf, <laughs> you know, like he'll watch MacGruber 10 times before he wants to watch a, a, a movie that makes him think, you know, and that's you know what's great. That's, I've never thought cool. about this until this exact moment. Paul Thomas Anderson has definitely seen MacGruber. Oh, he has. Because <laughs> yeah. his wife is in it. Yeah. She's the wife, you know, yeah. she's MacGruber's deceased wife. So that's crazy to think about. I've never thought about that. If he we ever meet of- PTA, we have to talk to him about MacGruber. <laughs> yeah. We have to get his quotes. Can on he direct the sequel? <laughs> Oh my gosh! Great or the, idea. Or the prequel, anyway. <laughs> what if they got him? Like that's that was their. You know how they are like really sure they're going to get the second one made, and no one knows why because the first one yeah. didn't make much money, and they just have yeah. back pocket. And, hey, hey, by the way, PTA is directing it. <laughs> <laughs> it comes out Christmas 2016. I want to talk specifically about my just my general thoughts on here. I think as far as what you said, Brian, about where this ranks in his filmography. Sure. Um, I don't know if it's his worst film. Um, it has instant cult classic written all over it. It's just so different. It feels like b- burn after reading. 
like, like that. <laughs> huh? That's yeah. his version of that, you know, for the Coen brothers. It's not, it's not a bad movie. You, I mean, you can make an argument for a lot of movies being the Coen's worst movie, but it's just kind of there. It makes you think maybe more than a lot of their other movies do, but, and their performances are good, but it's just kind of weird and didn't really fit with what they're doing. That's how this felt to me. This is the first time around, especially with the FBI informant type stuff going on plot line wise, which we'll talk about. But um, this feels like Paul Thomas Anderson's burn after reading. <laughs> that's how I can kind <laughs> of put it. compare it. It's um, better than that, though. It I is. Think that's it is a fair better. comparison, and I'm fine with that. I think that's really funny and, and apt. But if for people listening to the to the podcast, I think it's better than that. I think it's a better movie, sure. But I'm just where in his filmography it belongs. Is sort of similar to where yeah. that movie belongs in the Cohen's filmography. Uh, there, I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson has better movies sure. than this. I mean, There Will Be Blood is a better movie. Uh, the Master is a better movie. Uh, this just this, this oh, is just yeah. different, and, and and it's it's his maybe his funniest movie. I mean, I I laughed several times. Yeah, I laughed a lot. In, in Inherent Vice, much I, funnier than most other movies I saw this year. Yeah, I mean, Joaquin is just so great. In this, is, in this role. so AT whenever he qualifies. Oh, he is. Yeah. American Treasure all the way. And uh, Josh Brolin's on a fast track, too. Uh, I like Josh Brolin a lot. And he's mm-hmm. he's had a very American Treasure past few years, um, not only on the this, on this, um, big screen, but on the small screen with things like the Californians and stuff like that he's done on television. So I uh, love Josh Brolin, but... And it felt a little bit Wes Anderson-y, too, with Owen Wilson, especially making an appearance here. <laughs> had had a little bit... You know how Wes Anderson's movies sort of jump around to multiple plot lines? Uh, it had that sort of vibe here, too. But I liked how they kept Joaquin's character at the center, and, and you experience these other plot lines through his character. The private eye, Larry Doc Sportello, um, yeah. how he's trying to sort of solve all these cases as the movie's going on. And he uses one case to sort of lead into another case. Yep. And at the end, it all comes together. But um, I really liked how the kind of. <laughs> the, I mean, it, yeah, he, he, he uses one, solving one case to solve another, basically. Yeah. And we'll talk specifically about that in spoilers. But I really liked following this character around. The comparison has to be made to the Big Lebowski dude. here dude. and the dude. I think they did a good job not going in that direction too much because you could have totally gone total dude here. And there are moments where well, that's you... just like your opinion, man. <laughs> there are moments where you think the dude and there's one moment specifically, and it's not a spoiler to say uh, there's a moment where Josh Brolin's character, uh, Bigfoot like knocks down the door of, of doc while he's sitting in his room, smoking a, a joint. And um, he just, he just looks at Brolin's character and it's like, Hey man, that's that's my door, man. What are you doing? And it's very similar to the the scene in Lebowski at the beginning, where he's like, "Obviously, you're not a golfer," you know, where the guys bust into his apartment and uh, demand the money and stuff. So, I mean, that reminded me of that, but that was the only real direct comparison I could make to to Lebowski, other than the fact that there's just dudes. I mean, they're they're sort of cut from the same cloth and. PTA has talked about it. He's like, you, of course he's seen Lebowski 50 times. Like everybody, you just kind of have to sort of ignore it and not try to 
copy it. You know what I mean? Just kind sure. of sort of make your movie, you know, and the comparison will be made, of course, just because the Lebowski is such a – it's so ingrained in this culture that any sort of movie like that, will the comparison will be made. But I think they did a good job making their own thing here. And uh, let's talk about the other performances for a second. Benicio Del Toro, uh, always good to see him. What did you guys think of him in this movie? He's in it very briefly, but I guess sort of memorable role. I think you could group him and Owen Wilson and probably several other guys all together of just like Reese Witherspoon too. Just they're fantastic actors who pop up for very small roles and they all kill it and then they leave five minutes later and they're <laughs> never seen again. And it's, it works. I mean, it's, it's really enjoyable, but it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to get used to their characters or, uh, you know, even get invested in their characters because they're, they're in, they're out. And and that's the end of it. This is an inevitable question, Richard. Uh, but I had to ask it, how did this movie relate to the book? I mean, how, how did you feel this? Did you feel this was a good adaptation of the book? Yes, uh, almost to a fault, mm. to oh. where, uh, you know, some of this stuff is so unfilmable, but he was so faithful to it. It probably would have been better narratively if he had maybe thought of his own stuff. But this is pretty much a translation of a, of a pretty crazy book into a film. It's, it's, it's really pretty. Obviously, things are cut out, but uh, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty dead on in terms of kind of the feel of the book. Absolutely. So it met your expectations or did it exceed them? For what you thought the translation would be to the, to the screen, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I can say it. It probably was more, like I said, yeah, it was probably more accurate than I thought it would have been. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, to be quite frankly, in terms of cinema. Yeah, because it's it's a book, you know. I mean, it's like the most basic sentence of all time, but <laughs> it's it is it works narratively in a book, but maybe I'm I'm always fine with. I don't have an issue. I'm not going to these people. It's like. Oh, they changed it. It wants right. a different medium. I'm fine yeah. with them changing it as long as totally. it's positive, you know. So I don't know. Some of this stuff was pretty confusing. It was not as confusing in the book, but pretty strong. No, but it was fine. Multiple characters intertwined in this uh, this little predicament that Doc finds himself in. One of those characters being a dentist named Doctor Rudy Blatnoid, played by North American Treasure Martin Short. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why is Martin Short not used more in, in movies? I just don't – I mean when He's is great. he not a good – when do you not smile when you see him show up? I mean I had forgotten he was in this movie till he walked through the door and I was like, oh, yes. I mean it takes it up a notch anytime He's the best. he shows up, especially midway through a movie like this. You know? Yeah, uh, and that character is so perfect for him and he's uh, wonderful. Yeah, that's one of the more memorable scenes of the year, I will say. Um, is the scene where where Doc Sportello goes to the so-called dentist's office, and uh, him and Joaquin and Martin Short are just doing coke on his desk. <laughs> uh, never thought I would see that or say that, but it happened, and it yeah, was funny. What's this? Uh, Joaquin said I saw in some of the press he did that. They did like 30 takes of that scene, and there was only one of them where Joaquin wasn't just laughing all the way through it because Martin Short was so funny, and that's yeah. the one they used because they only got one usable take out of about 40. Yeah, there are several funny moments with Martin Short. Did you find it funny? I mean, w- yes. when you go back, will you yeah. will you look at this movie as a comedy generally? Dramedy, Dramedy. sure. I would say yeah. more comedy. 
That's I'm just trying to classify I it mean, in my mind. Yeah, look, this was a this is a bad year for comedy, in my opinion. Like twenty two Jump Street was really funny and uh Grand Budapest obviously was really funny. I mean, just truly good comedies, but like there wasn't much so, to laugh at at the yeah. theater this year. And so take that as you will, but this is one of the few movies this year that really made me laugh. Like it, it, it very much reminded me. Uh, it, it's funny. You, you mentioned, uh, burn, uh, burn after reading. I almost said burn notice. Um, <laughs> Definitely not you that. mentioned burn after reading, but Harris this, is really pumped right now. <laughs> this, <laughs> this had a vibe to it. Like a Coen brothers movie, like these really weird things to laugh at. And I know PTA has done some of that in the past. It's not like he's new to that sort of storytelling, but, uh, but I, I got a, I got a Cohen vibe out of that. And, yeah. and in my theater did too, which was really nice. Cause the last, like when I saw in- inside Lou and Davis, no one in the theater understood the jokes. And so I was just laughing by myself and people were looking at me and it was, it was just very odd. So my theater was really, I had a good, good group and, and, uh, everybody was laughing at these random jokes. So yes, I, I laughed a lot in this movie. I don't know if I would call it a comedy, but it's, it was definitely, it's still a funny movie. There are a few moments with Joaquin, uh, for example, when the FBI approaches him and they want him to be a spy, and they're like, "We'll pay you three hundred dollars a month to be an informant for the FBI." And he goes, "U.S. dollars?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's just a such a random joke, but I thought it was so funny. And when uh, Brolin's character Bigfoot is eating the chocolate covered banana in mm. the car, and yes. and Joaquin's just giving him like grossed out looks for about two minutes straight, hilarious. There are several funny small moments in the movie that aren't blatantly punchlines, yeah, but that make you laugh. And yeah, so they're I not appreciate telling that jokes. kind of humor. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, let's move to spoilery type stuff. I guess we can. Richard, are there any spoilery thoughts you want to talk about for Inherent Vice? Anything happened in the third act that you didn't expect or? You want to discuss? I mean, it's hard. Like I said, it's a hard one to to talk about spoilers with because it's, it's a lot of it is very abstract. But I will say, kind of the secret society, the uh, yeah, the kind of the under you know the the world going on underneath it, uh, the shipping and all that kind of stuff is is probably the most spoiler spoil, spoilery kind of stuff. Uh, but it was done really well in this, I thought, and and just creepy enough to kind of get your the hairs on the back of your neck standing up and get you a little nervous in a movie that overall is a pretty good romp. And I think that was done done pretty effectively, but I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts. Yeah, I felt the same way. It just was crazy to me. They're introducing this uh, Adrian Prussia character yeah. in the third act. I mean, you're introducing a whole other storyline, basically, yep. in the last act. And that's, that's sort of maybe where most people got confused. Like, well, who is this guy? Why does he matter? Well, And he's the one that sort of brings it all uh, together at the end, or at least is the connection between uh, Doc solving one case and solving the case with Owen Wilson too at the end. Yep. So uh, yeah, a little bit confusing, but I I understand why why it was the way it was, and um, so I mean I guess I sort of understand why why somebody could be confused there. But uh, I love the scene where Joaquin gets uh, arrested so to speak, yeah. and breaks out and <laughs> attacks a guy with the top of the toilet uh, <laughs> thing. That's one of the best scenes of the year when he breaks out and, um, you know, shoots his gun and doesn't know if he shot the guy or not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hilarious. Did I get you? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. 
awesome every time. But um, very memorable, and you know, it's it's a movie that is worth revisiting. Like I said, um, there's a lot to look into, and I appreciate yeah. that about his movies. That's all I can really ask for is is that it's something that requires more thought than a, you know going to see. Now you see me required or something. You know what I mean? Well, like it, I mean that the closer we you gave, are, the we gave it more thought than it ever deserved <laughs> or it was entitled to. You know what I mean? Like this is uh that's all you can ask for from from Paul Thomas Anderson is just he really does make you think and I that's I appreciate that and you know if if you don't get it the first time around that's just more incentive to go see it again and to think about it more. So that's it's a win-win for me honestly. So this um as far as the end of the year, Richard, you said it might rank in your top five. It um, may. I don't know. This is going to be a tough right one. Now, yeah. I've got my does. tentative list made up, and it's not on there now. But, I mean, the end of the year is still a, a week away for as far as we're concerned. So I, I don't know if this will get any Oscar buzz. I had it on my pre-prediction list for Oscars. I think Joaquin might get some recognition. That's really all I see here, though, unfortunately. Uh, maybe a screenplay yeah. recognition, I wish, but I don't know. I wish, uh, I, in my opinion, Martin Short deserves to be nominated for this. Maybe, yeah. It's such a good category. It's just too stacked. I mean, it's just... He's so good. That's like as good as... Yeah. As it <laughs> I can't argue there. He's he's fantastic in this movie. Maybe too little. I mean, we're, we're saying that when... Yeah. But Anne Hathaway won an Oscar for one yeah. scene. Or uh, what's his name? Alan Arkin. Yeah. For Little Miss Sunshine. Yep. He's in the movie for like, you know, four and a half minutes. Yeah. Every day with the bleeping chicken. It would your be, Oscar. Yeah. No, it would be surprising to get a nomination if, if Short did, but it wouldn't be undeserved. I wouldn't, you know, I don't think he doesn't deserve one. I just don't think he'll get the nod, unfortunately. Let him host he, a stupid show already. <laughs> Seriously, Seriously, that needs to happen. But let's move on to grades, guys. Unless y'all have any other inherent vice thoughts, I'm sure this one will come up later in the in our best and worst of the year episode. But um, you know, this is one this is one that surprised me uh, for a lot of different reasons. So I'm going to give this one a solid A minus. Uh, I mean, it's not his best work, but it's something that I want to revisit. So I mean, that rewatchability, I. I I take into account, and this is one I want to revisit, so that's why it ranks high. So A minus for me, uh, not an A plus, of course, or an A, just uh, pretty solid. So A minus for me, uh, Brian. Yeah, I'm gonna go just a little bit lower than you can go with the B plus. I uh, enjoyed it. I, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a fun movie. I I don't know that it necessarily added up to the sum of its parts, I guess, and it's definitely super confusing and not. All I'm not sure I understood everything that happens, and I'm fine with that. But uh, I enjoyed it just fine, so B plus for me. Richard, I'm going to go just a straight A. Okay, solid. Well, we'll talk about this later again, like I said, and uh, can't wait for that. But for now, let's move on and let's talk weekly recommends. Weekly recommends. Richard, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to go something that actually applies to movies uh, right now that I'm, I'm reading. Uh, it's uh, a new kind of memoir out right now from the comedian Patton Oswalt mm-hmm. uh, called Silver Screen Fiend. And it's about his time in the uh, mid, mid to late 90s living in Los Angeles 
having just enough money to where he could go see every movie <laughs> and uh, becoming obsessive over it. And it's kind of a memoir of these years of his life where he literally saw every movie. Uh, he was going to like six or seven movies a week uh, yeah. at the theater uh, for like five years. Sounds like Brian. Yeah, it does sound <laughs> like Brian. But uh, it's an enjoyable book. I love Pat Oswalt. He's one of my favorite stand-up comedians uh, in the world. And I think he's totally great. And I was kind of a little let down by his first memoir because I love comedic memoirs and I just expected his to be the best of the best. It was like it was only like a B plus and I was kind of bummed about it. But this so far is is uh, is kind of more of what I expected. It's a little more micro and, and great. So uh, it's kind of learning about life. It's between the years of 1995 and 1999. And uh, he he was uh, seeing everything. So Silver Screen Fiend. Uh, it's out right now in bookstores and an audible format. Uh, check that out. Does he do also. the read on the Audible? He does. I, I'm actually reading it hard copy, but uh, I think he does the read on the Audible. Oh, I'm gonna have to get that version. Then. Yeah, I always, I, yeah. I normally do for this. For some reason, I bought the book, but I would highly recommend Audible.com is the greatest thing. I'll make a recommend here. I think I've done this before, but especially for these kind of books, um, if yeah. you're gonna read Moby Dick, read Moby Dick. But if you're gonna listen to, if you're gonna read a book, you know, Amy Poehler's book or something like that, listen to it because most time they read it. It's like 14 bucks a month. It's a little bit more expensive than Netflix. But uh, you get one free book a month, and normally these books, anything you choose, is going to be like nine to fourteen hours of listening, yeah. and uh, it's a great deal. And because most audiobooks are like thirty dollars, or most books at Barnes and Noble or whatever are going to be twenty bucks if they're new, and you can just—it's a great way to go through life with your headphones in, taking in great stories from great people, and uh, I—it I, it definitely augments. I, I read a lot. I love to read, uh, I, like actually. You know, books in front of me, but it, yeah. I, I probably add 12 to 15 books a year uh, that are just audible. So def- I read books that I probably wouldn't ever get to uh, because of Audible. It's a great service. But Silver Screen P- C- Feed by uh, Pat Oswald is awesome. Kent, what about you? Yeah. I, uh, I have a saying on this podcast. It's one of my favorite sayings that I've uh, coined or trademarked on the show, uh, patent pending, of course. Uh, there are two types of people in this world. People who like Fantasia and people who don't <laughs> like Fantasia. Well, I'm one of the people that does. And uh, I'm pleased to announce on the Mad About Movies podcast that Fantasia is now available on Netflix. So, Oh, wow. Really? Fantastic. So, yeah. No, the original Fantasia from uh, 1940 is on Netflix. I, I'm assuming a remastered uh, version of it and uh, a classic Disney film and – what more can I say? It's freaking Fantasia. So uh, I'll recommend that. Have a good time and, uh, you know, don't do anything I wouldn't do uh, because psychedelics are um, psychedelics are fun yet dangerous if you don't use them correctly. Uh, so uh, no, Fantasia, it's, uh, Fantasia itself, no drugs needed. I'm not a drug guy, but no. Fantasia is like in itself you go to a whole different world. <laughs> you do. No, but on, seriously, it, I, a lot of great memories as a child watching it in, um, on VHS, so good stuff. So Fantasia, my recommend. Brian, what's your recommend? I'm also going to choose a movie that is available on Netflix and is equally as strong as Fantasia. It's a little masterpiece called Brick Mansions with may he rest in peace paul walker <laughs> yeah. uh and the rizza from the wu-tang clan uh it's not a good movie okay so we need to make that clear up front not a good movie 26 percent rotten tomatoes probably deserves that what it is is really stinking fun and enjoyable and i 
feel like as I was getting ready to make all my lists that are on the blog right now, um, I, I found that 2014 was was weak on guilty pleasure type movies and uh, yeah. movies that are not good, but you enjoy sitting down to watch, even if uh, even you know knowing okay this is this is pretty bad. Uh, and this is the one that sticks out. The uh, Paul Walker's co-star, his name is David Bell, and he is the creator of Parkour. So that tells <laughs> you what kind of uh what kind of movie you're in for it's ridiculous the plot is is not great but it is really enjoyable and it moves fast whoever sh- the guy who shot the movie knows how to shoot a movie i don't know that he knows how to make a movie but uh knows how to shoot a movie and the action sequences were pretty pretty enjoyable uh so it's it's definitely worth your uh, your hour and a half and uh if you're just needing a, a pick me up on a bad day, it's kind of it, it, it's it's enjoyable. So uh, now that it's on Netflix, I feel like I can recommend uh, a C plus B minus kind of movie. You shouldn't pay money for it like I did, but if you're getting yeah. it for free on Netflix, it's totally worth your worth your time if you're in that kind of mood. If you're into Paul Thomas Anderson, because <laughs> you're listening to this episode, uh, The Master as well as There Will Be Blood are on Netflix too. As well, I'll recommend those. Uh, so and I watched Boogie Nights two or three weeks ago and it's still awesome. But that's just me. Yeah. Call me weird. Call me a pervert. I don't know. I like a lot of pop. I, I think in my Punch Drunk Love is also available on Netflix too. So it is, and that one's quick. If you yeah. if you're not familiar with Paul Thomas Anderson, and you you're interested in this podcast for whatever reason, uh, you should watch Punch Drunk Love first because it's great and it's like an hour thirty easy and flies through. And if you like that, then then start working your way through the rest. Will do. Brian, where can I find you online? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill 12 uh, and you can find my writing at CanBabiesDrinkRedBull.com. And this week I've got a bunch of movie lists and end-of-the-year recaps and all that fun stuff. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barton, where I'll be mocking most of Brian's end-of-the-year list and things right? and so forth. It's an annual Can't- tradition. <laughs> Unlike any other. Hello, hello, friends. <laughs> Kent, where might I find you? Find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison and find our show online at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Contact us on there. View all of our American treasures on there and our weekly recommends on there as well. And if you like what you hear, go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. But on that note, until next time, we will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs And maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged <laughs> But I don't know what to do With those tossed salads and scrambled eggs They're calling again Scrambled eggs all over my face They're making me ya ya the They're calling again. 